0: Welcome everybody to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to customer perceived value. Today, I've got a really fantastic guest. Uh, She's the founder and CEO of L-Cube Consulting. Uh, That's a business that helps enterprises elevate through strategic goal achievement. Uh, So she's kind of a mix of project management, change management, uh, she and her team teach the practice of rapid adaptive transformation, and she works with global multi-billion dollar clients down to medium-sized organizations. She's a national recognized authority on organizational change management and project management. She's appeared as a guest on multiple media outlets, frequent speaker, upcoming author. Her book is about to come out, and I'd like to have, uh, I'd like to introduce you to Lisa Le- Levy. Lisa, Hello. Hello, Mark. How are you? I'm really thrilled to have you here. Hey, before we get started, uh, I don't want to have people wait till the very end to find out how they can get a hold of you. Can you give uh, some coordinates and a a website or something of that nature?
1: Absolutely. Um, You can find me on LinkedIn, Lisa L. Levy, and the L-Cubed website is www.lcubedconsulting.com.
0: Great. So tell us a little bit about um, this term that you have, adaptive transformation. That sounds really intriguing. tell us Tell us what that means and and what capabilities you you give a one of your clients.
1: So adaptive transformation is the result of more than a decade of working with my clients and seeing in their environments, within their organizations, silos and and practices around project management, organizational change management, process performance management and improvement, and the need for internal controls. These are all industry standard best class practices, but they don't work together across functions in an organization. And so the power of them is really lost or at least severely limited with adaptive transformation we bring all of those pieces together to help our clients align their people process, and technology
0: wow there's a lot to unpack there yes um, there is uh, one of my kind of my mantras one of the uh, the rants i've been on the last six months in you know in my book and my practice is that organizations used to maybe have three to five major roles or job functions that, that interacted with customers. And now I have clients with 15 and when it was three or five, we used to have two of them who were, who were sales related functions and the other three, we told them, just do your job. We've got the customer interface mostly figured out and value and selling, uh, just stay in your lane, do your job and, and, uh, For the sake of efficiency, let's ignore any value you find. Uh, And that was probably okay when sales was two or three out of the five. But now that they're two or three out of 15, they're minority shareholders in the customer interface.
1: They are. And the customer experience, ultimately, right, it's the single most important thing. If you don't have customers buying your product or service, what's the point of being in business? You're not, gonna, you're not gonna survive that. So as we look at how do we align across functions and break down the silos, it's really important to start to understand now that it isn't three or five functions and it is 15, what's in it for the customer from every business interaction that's happening? Where's the value?
0: I love that. That's you're, you're preaching my sermon. (laughs) Um, And so I, you know, I'll see your, your point and raise you one. And that is out of those additional 12 or 13 people that aren't in sales roles, a lot of them, actually many of them have higher trust with their counterparts in their organization than sales does. These are people who get more insights and have more trust and we still have organizations and leaders that tell them, just stay in your lane. Just do your job. Don't talk to sales. Don't give us your insights. And that is becoming a bigger and bigger problem. So we've always done it this way, but oh. yeah. Right. When, by telling, oh,
1: that's, that's one of my favorite phrases, Mark. We've always done it this way. Yeah. Little bells and whistles are going off because that's an opportunity to improve.
0: Yeah. Well, we, and we've always done it this way. Well, we started doing it back when there was only five departments touching the customer and we still think we're doing the same thing, even though now it's 15. And so we haven't always done it this way. We did something that was a little bit less harmful. And told ourselves that we're still doing the same thing, and we aren't—not even close. So there's um, there's there's the the kind of the standard way of thinking we've all you know of, of describing we've always done it this way, but there's the insidious tyranny of not realizing that what we're doing isn't what we've always done.
1: Right, and. You know, what we've always done at syndrome is actually a topic that I I try and and unpack a little bit in my book, Future Proofing Cubed, uh, the definitive guide to increasing productivity, refining processes, and bolstering profitability. But that syndrome can start to exist in a company that's six months old. Heaven forbid we talk about an enterprise that's existed for 50 years. So, you know, it's an, old, it's an old consulting trick, right? I hear that phrase and I ask why. And I'll go through the five whys to try and understand what's behind all of it. And more often than not, the root cause is, I don't know. It's just what somebody taught me how to do and somebody taught them how to do it. So the value of the work probably is non-existent. And as our enterprises and our businesses have become more complex, we have people touching our end customer from sources within the business functions that we didn't 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Yeah. So the,
0: yeah, I'm going to cut in because you said something early on in this answer talking about the five whys. I know exactly what you mean, but um, tell people what the five whys are.
1: All right. So the five whys are, you know, it's, it's, a lean, it's a lean approach to understanding and defining the root cause for what th- why things are happening and understanding the inputs and outputs to those process steps to understand if there is value or waste that's occurring. And as anytime I hear that's the way we've always done it, I will happily put a dollar wager that says um, this is a wasteful step whatever value it may have had at one point in time has probably gone away. If you, if a person doing something doesn't know why, why are they doing it?
0: Yeah. So you ask why five times when they say, I've always done it this way. You ask why. And when they give you that answer, you ask why. And when you give you that answer, you ask why the third time. Absolutely. Uh, so So you're peeling back the onion to try to get at the, inputs, the outputs, and, and, and what you just described. Um, the other thing is that uh, processes uh, get fossilized and, and we don't know why we did it. And uh, one of my uh, colleagues, Tim Reflake, gave a, a great post one day on LinkedIn. He said, remember, your sales guys are walking around who learn and you're asking them to learn from an old guy and they learned it from a dead guy. <laughs> <laughs> and wow, and, we're uh,
1: fossilized and maybe dead. That's a lot, Mark. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um so let's let's and look, here we are. I am we're having this conversation on Friday, the 20th of of March 2020. We are a couple days into um lockdown, national lockdown and regional lockdowns. And we all know that the world is changing around us. And here we are uh, wondering how it's going to change. And I'm wondering if people are open to questioning all those old assumptions or they're just trying to go through the same old motions on a video conference.
1: You know, it's an interesting and obviously a timely topic. Uh, With my clients in the past week, I've actually seen an uptick in, in business interaction. Um, we are in the virtual world. Um, we are doing things in ways that the technology has been out there, but it has exploded in literally the last seven business days. I have the opportunity and the ability to keep my clients running and facilitate virtually and add value. Um, with everybody social distancing, one of the advantages that we're seeing is the advantage of found time and the ability to separate and focus from the distractions of being in an office and to really give some energy and um, find creative thinking and the desire to be innovative. And in the last three days, we have see I have seen an uptick in how we're running business, and I am busier than I was 10 days ago.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm getting busier too. Uh, you raise a really interesting, uh, in your book, raise some interesting things that touch on, sorry, liberal arts folks, your, your degree was more valuable than you thought, anthropology. Um, <laughs> when companies silo, the human organism creates tribes and they create we, they. We are wired to do that. So as a corporate leader, when you create departments to specialize, you you have to know that you're creating some silos, which impedes your corporate agility and flexibility. Uh, You have to create processes, and those processes have to become rigid. And we do something, I say, going from the founder's vision to a for-profit company, which has got some discipline, and then we fossilize that into the for-process company. People don't know what their job is for. They don't know what the customer value is for anymore. They just know what their process is and they're measured by adherence to their process. And that's, um, that's, that's kind of a function of our anthropological wiring. And here you are with your specialty of adaptive transformation, which, um, smacks that in the face.
1: Well, it does right at, at, the foundation of it, it's about affecting corporate culture. It is about breaking down the silos and thinking across the functions and really understanding from touch point to touch point or person to person, right? What is it that I'm doing that adds value to the next thing? And if we don't understand what's going on around us because those silos have been so well reinforced over time, it's really, you know, it's a challenge and with, Our opportunity right now as we are social distancing and working in our virtual world, those silos sort of have evaporated to a certain extent. It is easier to get a cross-functional group of people to have a conversation, you know, on an online session than it was when they were, you know, people were sitting two doors away from each other in an office. Um, Right now, some of the noise has gone away. And we have a really huge opportunity to build in what we call, right? The adaptive transformation model, but it's about embracing and being willing to accept change is inevitable and it's happening all around us right now. It's, it's, um, amplified, but we have that opportunity to learn how to continuously improve because how we're doing business today on this Friday is so radically different than it was a week ago.
0: Yeah. Um, one of the things that when i was when i do discovery with a, a prospective new client and we're going to be talking about uh transformation of their sales culture and 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 incorporating that transformed sales culture into a de-siloed organization so sale sales is less of a silo and part of a uh holistic functioning body um one of the questions i asked leaders is how tell me about, a ch- about the changes that you've put your sales organization through. How good are they at change? Are they resistant? Did, have you had a sales transformation that failed and what happened? So I'm trying to figure out how good they are, how strong their change muscles are. And the answer to that question really shapes how we want to try to design an engagement if if the phone organization is really good at changing then we just march on if they're bad at changing there's a whole layer we have to do to um to get people on board the change before we even start the change
1: and i'm going to make an assumption mm-hmm. that in your experience the companies that say they're really good at change when you get down to the individual salesperson aren't um
0: nobody's good at change uh one of the most honest answers i had with with a a client was we forced them to a lot of changes in the last two years so i won't say my people like it but now they at least tolerate it they know that they know it's going to be expected and how honest is that that no we're not good at it uh we know we could be better but we're not as awful as we used to be we used to be pretty fossilized and now
1: at least the joints aren't creaking every time we move. (laughs) Well, it's, it's human nature to resist Mm -hmm. change, doing learning something and doing it and becoming capable at it creates a sense of a personal value proposition. That value proposition isn't stagnant and, you know, fossilizing is, you know, in nobody's best interest. So teaching a company who's been through, as your example, a lot of change over a couple of years, they're, they're familiar with it. But what if we got them to being willing to embrace it because they know that change leads to something new, innovative, and good? And if we can take away that initial resistance, that fear of, I'm going to lose my job, I'm, a computer is going to take over for me. Um, they're going to see that I probably haven't been doing anything for a while. Anyway, we take away all of these, these fears because those fears are what cause people to kind of stop and protect their, their fiefdom. And so if we can create that, um, desire and willingness to embrace change, it's part of a continuous improvement cycle for the business as a whole. Change is just one part of it, but if we are embracing it and not fearing it, um, good things happen and they happen quickly
0: so tell us a little bit kind of give me the reader's digest version of what an engagement that helps a client become good at change to become uh embracers of change what what do you do with a client that that helps them turn that corner and change the the character of the organization actually yeah
1: So with our engagements, when we're looking at change, we look at the company and both strategically and operationally. So it's understanding at the executive level what they think their organization is all about and how they think it actually behaves. And then we dive down and find the intelligence and the reality down through um, the levels down to individual contributors who are doing their job day in and day out. And we rate and rank and come up with, you know, a matrix that says, here's what you think your organization looks like versus what's really actually happening. And then we can prioritize um, activities to break through the silos, um, refine process. We increase you know, productivity. And we also find ways to measure results that are new and different. So the processes have to have controls so that you know that they're performing but typically, we don't talk about those sorts of things. Um, you know, what is the actual value output of a process? It, it's not just you know about quantity of throughput. It's about the quality of the the output as well. And so we come up and in, put in place new internal controls, so that as they measure results over time, we know what dials to change. If a control fails, there's an opportunity to um, improve that that work product. So it is a cross-functional look. It is across the entire um, strategic layer and the strategy of the company. And we give them a blueprint so that they can continuously improve. We like to talk about it as being able to adapt and thrive. It's embracing how to constantly do things better tomorrow than we're doing them today.
0: Cool. So um, I talk to a lot of people who are um, really process oriented Mm -hmm. and i have a quote that uh, usually makes them squirm in their chairs a little bit that it's it's my quote it's it's from me so you can blame me it's it's not it's not anybody famous or brilliant um it's every process that makes you and your organization good at doing something made you bad at doing something else sometimes everything else and as a leader you have to when you install a process, you have to figure out what you just made yourself bad at. Yes. And keep an eye out for that and figure out how you're gonna mitigate that. And so uh, tell me your thoughts as as an adaptive transformation expert and as somebody that really does look for continuous improvement, uh, do you try to instill that self-awareness of the process we're just imparting Uh, has some unintended consequences, and we are going to be vigilant and ruthless about uncovering those unintended consequences and being ready to to deal with those.
1: Absolutely. So I guess my corny analogy is, you know, a business environment is a a very elaborate spider web. And as we build in one area, there's the, the potential of something breaking somewhere else and a good spider who is diligent right keeps repairing and it it never ends so it's a little corny but yes i I, i'm going to steal your language because it's much more concise but yes when we build something to be good there's always an unintended consequence somewhere sometimes they're positive consequences you might actually accidentally make something easier for someone else but you have to be aware of the impact um from one process to another. And that's why thinking across functions is so important that it isn't all about me and my world. It's about what I'm doing and how it impacts, you know, those functions around me.
0: Oh, that's great. Well, Lisa, this has been an awesome conversation. Uh, I'm sure we could go on and on. Uh, You and I have, have gotten together socially, um, face-to-face man what a what a strange concept in today's world what and what a treasured memory but um you and i are kindred spirits in so many ways and i really enjoyed having you on i'd love to make sure that we keep the conversation and and keep the collaboration going so before we break off is there anything else you want to say besides uh repeating your your uh, contact information
1: you know, the thought that I would leave you with, especially with the times that we're in right now, right? You know, it's our tagline, adapt and thrive. But when we're faced with these unexpected challenges, this is when we really can figure out what we're best at. And right now we have nothing but opportunity and it's uncertain and it's uncomfortable. But, you know, we need to lean into that and, and get the most that we can out of it. Wow. I'm, I'm Lisa Levy. And I, you can find me at lcubedconsulting.com. I appreciate the time, Mark.
0: Uh, Lisa, I really thank you for having that. And, um, I, you know, there's a whole other whole nother podcast on figuring out what you're good at, figuring out what your value is, and building your strategy and your processes and everything around that. What a, what a great What a great teaser for the sequel. (laughs) Happy to do it. All right. Lisa, thanks again very much. And um, everybody, please do look Lisa up because what she offers is gold. And keep an eye out for her upcoming book. Thanks, everybody. And remember, because value, customer value, only exists in your customer's mind. I want you to remember that your success in business sits all in your customer's head. Thanks and have a great day. Well, it ain't easy because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive over you insane. And if you ignore your customer's outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues because you'll be singing those old don't know value blues.